revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. All right, we are back at the top of our third segment here. We did not hear from Sakura Saunders, uh, KDVS's uh, reporter who has done work also for uh, Radio Pacifica. Uh, she'll be on next week to talk at length about this show, which will be in uh, 194 Chem, I believe, next Thursday, February 19th. The documentary, The Revolution, will not be televised. And that song that started us off here is not related to the documentary. That's an old uh, old classic from the 60s that, uh, that I've always sort of been intrigued by. It's an interesting sort of pre-rap kind of talking song. We encourage you to see this documentary. Also uncovered, the Robert Greenwald documentary and the uh, Greg Palast Counting on Democracy uh, uh, video, which I think I'm going to try and see, bring it along. Maybe some folks that will see this uh, revolution will not be televised may want to stick around for a showing of that as well. I think I'm going to try and provide that uh, uh, for Sakura in case she wants to exercise that option. All right, joining us now is Mick Martin, the host of the Blues Party that uh, is heard every, on KXJZ every Saturday between the hours of 1 and 5 p.m. Welcome, Mick. Well, it's great to be with you, Doug. <laughs> now, I, I, I sent you an email sometime back after we did uh, that little, little riff uh, from Martha, that email she sent us on how to sing the blues. And I gave you a copy of that, and I, and I, wanted, I wanted your comment on this famous comedy piece. Well, you know, I've always wondered about that because, you know, when you get down to the bottom of it, it says you can't sing the blues if you've got a computer, and most of the people <laughs> I've received it from have sent it on computers. So I guess they're essentially eliminating themselves one at a time from, you know, and I'm getting it from Mark Hummel, and, you know, it's like pretty soon I'll be the only blues player left in the United States if this keeps up. Because I haven't sent it to anybody. I'm pretending I don't have a computer. Out of curiosity, how many times has someone sent that to you? Oh, my goodness. It's been at least a dozen times now. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those the things that uh, doesn't seem to want to die, you know. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, it is true that a great many blues start off with, I woke up this morning. <laughs> but then again, if you're going to be able to write a song, you do need to be able to wake up in the morning. Or at least sometime during the day. Otherwise, uh-huh. you know, I didn't wake up this morning. It's just it's a not bad start. fly. <laughs> Alright, well, we had some fun with that piece. I think it's just quite amusing. And we, we played in the background uh, what's not really blues. It was that Jimi Hendrix Red House. Actually, Jimi Hendrix's Red House is really blues, and I will arm wrestle anyone who says that it is not. Well, good. I, I, hope, I was glad you are going to back me up on that, because I thought it was as bluesy as it comes, but I'm no expert. Well, I can remember going down to, uh, there was a record store, I can't remember the name of it now, in San Francisco, six months before the first Jimi Hendrix album came out, right after they put out the single of Purple Haze. Yeah, and because um, Hey Joe, I think didn't fly over here, and that had already come over, come out in uh, in England, and I bought that first album, which has the original version of Red House, and I thought it was one of the best blues songs I'd ever heard. Yeah, 
But we didn't hear that in America until about three years ago when they put out his blues CD. Oh, and that had the original. The one that uh, came out over here on Smash Hits was a different take. Huh. So all those years I'd been listening to uh, my favorite version. It ends with uh, Jimi Hendrix saying, what do you think of that? And then somebody says, you should put that one on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's how I know how to recognize it. But there's, there's more reverb and, and uh, echo on the uh, version that came out in America. But to me, I mean, you know, I mean, everybody has adopted that. That's become a blues anthem. And um, besides that, you can usually tell a blues because they do tend to repeat the first verse. Yeah. If it was country, it would be different. Or if it was... Uh, I was kind of thinking that in the background as we did this piece that we'd be hearing Paul McCartney singing, Martha, my dear. <laughs> but no. I don't hear it. Yeah. And that's not blues either, by the way. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. But, you know, on your show, I, I, I sort of thought I was not that wild about blues, but then I, after getting goaded to do so, I should have paid attention to the subject, listened to your program, and learned that the blues is really a, a much broader genre than I, ignorant people like me realized. Well, I think uh, I am a subversive person because I have always felt that blues has been a part of music. There's such a thing as the blues police who say that only a certain kind of music is blues. And I think that that's, for any music to live, it has to change, it has to evolve. Uh, within a lot of the people from the South, the African-American performers, it's evolved into a kind of mesh of blues and soul. But uh, once the British came along and uh, the Rolling Stones with Little Red Rooster was like, you know, the the call to arms for me, I realized blues was in a lot of things that I'd heard, and, and I didn't know it. You know, the Beatles thought they were a blues band. I didn't know that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, they said, yeah, we're a blues band. It just comes out sounding like this. Because <laughs> that's the way we sound. When they yeah. did their first press conference, yeah. they asked them, what do you want to see in America? And they said, we want to see Muddy Waters. And the reporter said, where's that? <laughs> <laughs> so I think we owe a lot to the British for, for teaching us about the blues. Yeah, well, on your show a couple weeks ago, you were playing, I hadn't thought, I had not thought of this, you are playing Crossroads by Cream and putting it in a blues context. Well, Crossroads is a song that was written by Robert Johnson. I didn't know Robert Johnson was until I, read, until I, I listened to, to NPR. People would be amazed what Robert Johnson wrote. I mean, everybody connects Elmore James with a song called Does My Broom. Robert Johnson wrote that. Um, Eric Clapton recorded Steady Rollin' Man. Uh, Robert Johnson wrote that. Um, he's written uh, a lot of songs that uh, other people have become uh, connected to. But no, I, I think Cream's Crossroads is the epitome of a Robert Johnson song being thought of as a rock tune. Wow. Wow. And I, who, who did Board Under a Bad Sign? That's another great Cream bluesy. That, but that was Albert King. That oh. was on the album he did with Booker T and the MGs of the same name, which is just a masterpiece, an absolute masterpiece. And I remember when I got that, I couldn't believe it. It was like Magic Sam's West Side Soul. There, there are a few albums that have come out you know, that I think took the blues in a different direction. A lot of people don't know who Magic Sam was because he died at the age of 33. He was very young. And he had to play with a trio, you know, so he played the chords and the lead and everything all at the same time, much like Jimi Hendrix did later on. Hmm. And he actually evolved that style simply out of economic considerations. He couldn't afford to hire another guitar player. 
You know, wow. it had to be him, a bass player, and a drummer. Well, Mick, I really enjoy listening to your show, and you give these little, little little sidebars and tidbits that helps round it out. That really kind of kind of piques my interest in the subject matter. Well, the idea is that there, with every blues song, there is a story. Uh, I, I imagine. That's what I get a kick out of, although people say, you know, um, how do you know all this stuff? And sometimes I tell them the truth and say, I read the liner notes. <laughs> but I've been collecting this stuff since uh, the 60s, and yeah. I grew up on it. And we should mention, people who may not know, you are a part of Mick Martin and the Blues Rockers, your band, and you, you appear locally quite frequently, and I guess you'll be appearing in the Jazz Jubilee, which you do annually. Oh, yes, sure. We'll be at the California State Fair, and uh, my goodness, uh, we, we try to play as many events as we possibly can. We're continually in the, in the nightclubs, and uh, we're at www.mickmartinblues.com for anybody who... Uh, <clears throat> likes the blues and has a computer, here we are back to your list of things that people can't do and sing the blues. <laughs> but it's important to wake up in the morning, I admit that. <laughs> no, my two loves have always been movies and music. Yeah. And I played music. In fact, when I, when I played the mu music back in the 60s, I was afraid to play the blues because when I heard it by the Rolling Stones, it sounded... I liked it, but it was kind of cheesy. And yeah. then... A guy named Paul Butterfield came along and, and uh, with Mike Bloomfield on guitar. And right after that, John Mayall and uh, Eric Clapton sure. did that incredible album as the Blues Breakers. And I figured, well, look, uh, you know, there's no reason why I can't do that, too. But for a while, I thought if you're going to play the blues, you couldn't be a white guy, especially <laughs> not a suburban white guy. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of great players who have picked up on it. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It matters what your commitment to the music is. Yeah. And I guess you have another interest in DVDs now, because your, your DVD and video guide apparently has been quite, quite successful. We may want to just mention that for our listeners. Well, we're it... in our 20th year. We were the first people to come out with a book that had the word video on it. Uh -huh. And uh, thank goodness Tower Records' main office is in West Sacramento, because they just opened up Tower Video in New York. This is back in 1985. And we'd published it ourselves, and there was a bidding war, and within three months, I found myself, uh, have, we put out 800 reviews in the first one, and we had to have 2,500 for the first paperback. So yeah. all I did was stay up all night and write reviews of movies. Holy moly. Well, fortunately, I'd been doing nothing but watching movies since I'd, I was in a car accident in 71, and we had cable up where I was living in Grass Valley, so... I did nothing but watch movies, buy books about movies, and uh, that was my hobby because I was a musician. It keeps changing back and forth because I was a movie critic for the Sacramento Union until its demise in 1993, but I, I came on board in 76, and uh, in 77 we lost all of our equipment in a fire in the Fair Oaks at a place called the Shire Road Pub, so the next thing I knew, I wasn't a musician for about three or four years. That sort of took all the wind out of our sails. Well, Mick, we'll have to come back and talk a little bit more about music, a little bit more about movies sometime in the future, if you'll do that for us. Well, I'm, it's wonderful for you to set aside the time for me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. And uh, all I can say is it doesn't matter whether you've got a computer or not, <laughs> uh, or if you use the phone or whatever. If the blues is in your heart, you got to play it. All right. Well, Mick Martin, thanks again. We'll be talking. My pleasure. All right.
wasn't a bad love, I wouldn't have no luck at all. Joining us now is Senator Joseph Lieberman, fresh from his withdrawal from the campaign. Nice of you to call, Douglas. Well, our pleasure, sir. We'd hope that you'd continue to share your insights with us. Look, just because I've closed the chapter via my withdrawing from the presidential race, I've opened another, a run for the vice presidency. Well, you still are the Democratic Party standard bearer for Second Banana. That's absolutely right. I feel I can bring some of the magic, the verve, the dynamic tension of Campaign 2000 to Campaign 04. Do you perceive a vast GOP campaign to kill off Howard Dean? I'd rather focus on the battle for the number two position on the ticket. Well, well, how about these revelations that Al Sharpton is being run by Republican dirty tricks operative Roger Stone, the guy that spearheaded the closing down of the Miami-Dade recount? Look, let's talk about the vice presidency. That's what I'm here for. That's what we're going to focus on. All right, all right. I take the responsibilities of that office very seriously, Doug. I, I would be filling some really oversized shoes. Uh-huh. I mean, just look at some of the illustrious names from U.S. history that have served in the office. LBJ... Harry Truman. Hannibal Hamlin. Shiler Colfax. Who? Garrett P. Hobart. Who? Richard M. Nixon. Dan Quayle. Al Gore. Oh, yes, exactly. Very important. Thomas R. Marshall. Look, if you know your history... And we do. You'd know that Marshall was not just vice president under Wilson, but he also voiced a famous, very famous quote. Yeah, it's Marshall that said, what this country needs is a good five-cent cigar. So you can see right there, there's a lot to this job. Uh, well, what Marshall liked in vision, I guess he made up in quotability. Douglas, the office of vice president has been elevated to the presidency on eight occasions, eight times. Well, eight out of 43, that's almost 20%. Well, not bad, huh? One has to like those odds if, God forbid, tragedy strikes. My favorite quote on that is that uh, when Chester Allen Arthur became president on Garfield's death and the party boss who maneuvered him onto the ticket said, Chet Arthur is president? Oh, my God! Look, Doug, a lot of people run down the office. It's not fair. Well, Jack Garner, who served in the office, said it wasn't worth a pitcher of warm urine. I'm paraphrasing. Well, I'm glad you did. Look, in the modern era, the vice presidency is just more important. I mean, look at Colin Powell's U.N. speech, for example. Yeah. That came from Dick Cheney's office. Well, to say nothing of the administration's energy policy, advice on tax cuts in pursuit of the war. Well, there you go. But the Democrats aren't running anyone as lame as George W. Bush, Senator. Well, well, that's not true. Look at Al Sharpton. Good point. I I knew it was a sign from God to leave the campaign when I finished behind Al in South Carolina. I mean, that was all she wrote for Joe Mentum. Yeah. Look, Doug, I would have great input to any White House. Take a John Edwards White House, for example. Uh John is a bit of a lightweight ambulance chaser, and I say that with all respect. I would nicely balance his ticket geographically. Which, incidentally, you would not do with John Kerry or Howard Dean. Well, I have my constituencies, and I might add, a lot of Democrats are lining up to help me help elect whoever we nominate. Well, like who? Gray Davis, Geraldine Ferraro, Michael Dukakis, Thomas Eagleton. Didn't Tom Eagleton pass away? Well, I'll check on that one. Good idea. Look, if John Kerry gets the nod, I can still help line up major support for him. I have all my ducks in a row. You do? The Kerry Express rockets forward, and we anticipate financial help from many sources. I have lined up appropriate donors across the board. Well, like who? Many different people. For example, Tempur-Pedic mattresses, Lazy Boy recliners, the Serta Company, U-Band Coffee, American Home Products, who make no-dos, the Mayo Clinic Sleep Apnea Foundation, Starbucks, Ducks Bed, Lipton Iced Tea, and Jolt Cola. Many ducks. This is for John Kerry. Oh, my, yes. Look at the window of opportunity he creates. 
Uh, what about the military-industrial complex? Hey, Kerry Edwards, Gepard, and I all voted for the war. Well, indeed you did. The casualties have been unfortunate, sure, but look at the outcome. That's what I say. Just look at the outcome. The outcome. No weapons of mass destruction. A country in shambles. Islamic fundamentalists swarming into the place to attack our troops. Cronyism. What else? Well, not those outcomes. No? No, no, no. I mean, profits are up. Stocks are rallying. Per-person productivity is up. Uh-huh. Wonderful. If John F. Kerry gets the nod, I think I'd make a fine running mate. And by the way, I think he'll take my advice and go with John F. Kerry. Many of the papers are picking it up. I, it'll remind the public of another Irish war hero, Massachusetts senator, who went on to become president, Doug. Well, Kerry I think does, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I do. Kerry, Kerry does have a nice Kennedy-esque shock of hair. Well, not only that, but like JFK, Kerry, too, is a JFK. I mean, I told John... I, I guess he is. Well, I told John he should use those initials in the campaign, but he won't do it because he says it'll confuse people. Now, personally, I don't know who it'll confuse. I don't either. Ronald Reagan, perhaps? Maybe. Yeah. Or some Rip Van Winkle character who's been asleep for 40 years. I think John should go with JFK to point out the similarities. But JFK was charismatic, handsome, and witty. Well, I never said they were identical, Doug. I, you know, if they were, I never could have signed the likes of Jolt Cola. Well, Senator, we'll see if, God forbid, Kerry gets the nomination. Well, I must go now, but it is in God's hands. That's true. Thank you, Senator Joseph Lieberman. Bye-bye. If it wasn't for my dog, I wouldn't have no luck at all. All right, we are out of time. We would like to uh, give special thanks to our guests today, Mick Martin, KDVS's Steve Valentino, and, of course, our special Middle Eastern correspondent, Colonel Skip Klondike, and our embedded politician in the election 04 extravaganza, Senator Joseph Lieberman of Connecticut. That's it for this show. We'll see you next Thursday at uh, 5 o'clock. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. This show was produced by Mr. Edward McMillan. This is Radio Parallax. Stay tuned for Todd. One, two, three.